installment of the yummy coco show this is a pop culture variety show for your ear holes with sketches music interviews and games i'm your host yummy coco aka colette prosper i am a comedy writer filmmaker and many many more things on this show today charlie peppers oh my goodness from the hottest show Poker Face, which uh, last week it was announced it was number three on the Nielsen streaming ratings. Like it's 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 very popular. It's been a huge boost for Peacock. Peacock is doing really great things right now. Check out Peacock, The Traders, um, so many shows. All the Bravo shows are on there. Oh my God! Uh, last week I watched um, Watch What Happens Live. Um, I didn't realize that it was on Peacock, but now I know. So I'm getting my life, you know, you know, on Peacock. So it's great. Anyway, we also have recommendation coming up. I'm going to also play a sketch. It's a Love is Blind sketch. It's also inspired by my recommendation, which is the Perfect Match that's on Netflix. It's a wacky show. I love any kind of dating show with like a sociopathic element. And this definitely has it where, you know, people are using strategy to, to stay in the house and they're trying to match with like the right people. But it's not genuine love feelings. It's all about like just trying to stay on TV. So I, I love it. Um, It got kind of slow for me towards the end, but the first like eight episodes, really fun. I actually liked it more than Love Island. Don't hate me. Um, Again, it's more like sociopathic, which is probably why I liked it. Anyway, uh, if you like the show, give it a rating. Five stars, give it a review. It's how people can find the show. So let's kick things off with a sketch. And again, a love is blind sketch. We're going to do recommendation and then we're going to jump into our interview with Charlie Peppers. Sketch. Sketch. Hello, I am TV's Courtney Kardashian. I am the life of the party. I am also the new host of Love is Blind, Barbarian Edition. Produced by Elon Musk and Twitter, this show is Love is Blind with a twist. For this social experiment, we only could find one person willing to go down a basement into another basement to then try to fall in love with this voice behind a wall. Ba 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 ba. OMG, 
who would not fall in love with that? Hey, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this show anymore. I, I, I can't. I, I can't. I can't. Oh, oh my god. Oh, oh bah, my god. Bah, 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 Are bah, you bah. in love? No, I'm so, bah, bah, so scared. Bah, 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 bah. She just like wants you to be her baby. I'm getting the fuck out of this show. I don't want to be on Love is Blind Barbarian Edition anymore. Whatever. Bye. So don't act like some drunk slob kebab. Watch this show. Coming soon, this spring. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I have to go. Hi, I'm Stephanie from Brooklyn, and I'm recommending you check out High Heat on Netflix. This suspenseful 39-episode series takes place in Mexico and follows a fictional group of hot firefighters as they save lives, find love, and seek to catch a serial killer in their midst. The series also promotes women and LGBTQIA rights and equality in the Latinx community. You can watch the series in its original Spanish or choose from a wide range of other languages, including English, to either dub over the dialogue or read the subtitles. So I really hope you check out High Heat on Netflix today. Thank you. So that was High Heat. Thanks so much, Stephanie. And here's my interview with writer, director, Charlie Peppers. And we're back. Awesome. So let's get into my talk with writer, director, Charlie Peppers. Hey, Charlie. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me today. I want to talk to you about all things Poker Face. It's a great show on Peacock. I love it. Peacock is peacocking right now with some amazing shows, including Poker Face and The Traders and more. Um, but I want to talk to you about that. And then I also want to talk to you about the idea of like how we use our personal superpowers to make creative things happen. Um, but can I ask you a random question first? Oh, my God. I love random questions. <laughs> Please go. Okay. So I love the podcast Las Coturistas with Bo and Yang and Matt Rogers. And one thing they always ask, and it's usually like way into the show after ice has been broken and, and whatever, they ask their guests, when did culture or when did you know that culture was for you? And so to kick things off, I, I just wanted to ask you that question. Like, when did you know that pop culture was for you? And what was the moment that you realized that you were a visual storyteller? Oh, that's a really, really great question. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep my answer to this brief because I could easily go on a tangent and uh -huh. we still have a talk ahead of us. Yes. I will say that 
one of the first times that I realized pop culture was for me was TLC's very first album, Ooh, on the TLC. Yes. I, (laughs) what about your friend? My mom would play it for me on cassette when we drove to school. I think that was one of my first singles too. Yeah. I love that song. I really, of course, it's, it's amazing. And what I really loved about it was just the solidarity of friendship and chosen family. And even looking back then, I knew that that was something that I was very much about and that I took seriously, community and finding my people who not only make me feel beautiful, but who I want to feel beautiful. I take that very seriously. Another moment that made me realize pop culture was for me was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nice. It was uh, very much, yeah, very much a show about somebody who people expected the least from Uh who came into the room and completely rose to the occasion and wound up being a badass the energy of buffy summers is the energy i'm always trying to replicate in how i move through the world i love that character in that show so much so much um well and as far as when i really yeah and and as far as when i realized i was a visual storyteller i think that kind of um I don't know if it was the chicken or the egg. Mm-hmm. I, the way that I talk about stories very visual and the way that I write has kind of always been visual. So it wasn't until people pointed it out to me that I kind of nodded and said, oh yeah, I guess. Yeah, like, I, oh, I guess I, get, I am a visual storyteller. I love how you uh, describe Buffy Summers because it's kind of reminds me of Natasha Leone's character in Poker Face. Mm. Charlie Kale is somebody that they, she was a waitress in a cocktail bar in Las Vegas and she was um, underestimated and no one knew that she had this like sit, like secret hidden power of being like a really good bullshit detector. And, and so that, that, leads her on this path because she has this like special skill um so it's amazing so it's 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 almost like um because of this this uh you know fascination this 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 love of like the buffy character it's kind of like it it's influenced uh the kind of jobs you take in the in the kind of projects you write i guess yeah yeah it's certainly serendipitous for sure being on this show and the way that storytelling works on Poker Face, I definitely feel a sense of kinship to the writers in the room and how we tend to approach story and how we tend to approach character. I got the show because I did a spec script called Brooklyn So Dead uh-huh. about a queer black man who is a real estate agent in Brooklyn by day and a vampire slayer by night. Yes, which you so- sold. Yes, I did. I sold it. I sold it. Thank you. Uh, And that is the sample that got me the job for Poker Face, which has been a tremendous blessing. Every day, I'm just more and more pleasantly surprised and grateful with how the world is embracing this show it, it's it's so wonderful yeah i mean it's such a great show um so we're gonna be talking more about it but like we're also talking about the idea of like superheroes like real life superheroes imagined superheroes um like what's your like as as you um 
if you were like a superhero or I guess in a way we're all kind of superheroes in a way, but like, what's your origin story? Like what led you to writing and directing? Oh, yeah. So when I was about six years old, I went with my mom when she attended film school courses. Uh And this was somewhere, somewhere in the 90s. I was six and she would take me with her because she couldn't always afford a babysitter. So when I would go to class with her, I would see her splicing film together and listening to lectures. And I was very, very curious about how film and TV worked. And she let me be a PA on set with her. I would <laughs> highlight lines in actor scripts. I would give people waters. I would That's so help cute. them move really small stuff. Uh, yeah, so I was my mom's little PA. Uh, so you can say that I'm following her footsteps. And when I was 11 years old, I checked out books on screenwriting from the library. I, to this day, remember this moment. I remember reading screenwriting books in my sixth grade class and a girl I think her name was Erin looking at the book kind of sideways and saying aloud why are you reading that and I said oh it's interesting I like screenwriting and I of my own motivation wrote 15 episodes of a tv show that I created called The Powers of Merlin that was all about four teenage girls in high school Mm -hmm. who all inherent one magical ability from Merlin because he thought that nobody would ever look inside of teenage girls to find the powers that made him so formidable. And together they had to take down evil uh, gargoyles and knights. It was a very, it was pretty much Buffy charmed and the craft rolled up together. Yeah. uh, That was my first baby. Yeah. But it's just, it's also like characters who are underestimated, who are thought to be a certain way, but then, you know, rise above and become, you know, badasses. So, so that's, that's incredible that you already had that in going. You already had that like kind of brand going. It reminds me a lot of like Issa Rae and, and her um, sort of like origin stories. Like when she talks about um, being on set for, of like Moesha, like visiting on set and then, Mm. and and writing scripts, um, you know, when she was like in junior high and high school. That's so cool. Um, So Poker Face is amazing. It's a fresh take on the classic case of the week procedural, harking back to to shows like Columbo, Quantum Leap, Murder, She Wrote. These are shows like um, I didn't really watch these shows. I was watching um, like comedies, um, you know, Cosby show. um, I don't know. uh, Sabrina, the Teen Witch, whatever. Um, But Mm. but they were like uber super popular um and so this show takes um takes sort of like that format that how catch em format that was famous in in a show like Columbo um they have stars of the week like you would have like in the 70s like in love boat or, or whatever so like you know in this show you see like Charles Melton from Riverdale Judith Light from Who's the Boss you see Chloe Sevigny from uh Big Love and and so many other shows you see Little Ralph Howery which was amazing as a villain Hong Chow um but unlike Columbo you know there's that high production value there are real locations um, I wanted to talk to you about the the show because um, it, it has a really interesting format where it's like the crime first, 
then it's like the situation later they call it how catch them instead of like who done it how catch them um mm-hmm. and so like what what was that like for you um did you grow up watching these shows did you have to do a lot of research into the the genre like what's your personal relationship to that genre like the how catch them of it all yeah you know it's so funny i remember catching snippets of columbo on repeat when i was a kid uh-huh. uh i i definitely have vague memories of not only columbo but murder she wrote and those shows and how the structure of them was very i remember as a kid thinking huh these people these main characters always have a hunch about something yeah they go everywhere and they have to follow their hunches that's so interesting so i i certainly noticed that there was a genre of tv that hinged on one character who could go into a situation and push the puzzle pieces together. I never was a particular fan of that genre, but it was so embedded in the zeitgeist. And it also piqued my interest enough that I was very aware of it. And I knew that it was something that people just loved and poured over. Yeah. Uh, So being able to revisit those shows when I had to prepare for poker face felt like a homecoming in a way. And I like that I didn't rediscover them till later in my life mm-hmm. because as a kid, I don't know if I would have appreciated them yeah. as much. Yeah, right. To be quite honest, because there's so many, so many moving parts, and it's not TV that you can just throw on in the background. If you're watching Murder She Wrote or Columbo, you you gotta pay attention. You gotta really watch what's happening. There's you always clues. There's always clues. So the kind of relationship that you need to have with those shows is super engaged, Mm -hmm. but you are rewarded for paying attention to it. And Poker Face is the exact same way. And I think audiences are hungry for that. Um, Yeah, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, of course. Like, What what kind of shows did you dive into? Like, I, I, I remember Ryan Johnson also mentioning the show Highway to Heaven. Uh, with um, the uh, the actor from Little House on the Prairie. Now I can't remember. Um, but yeah, that was like a huge show. Uh, like, what what sort of shows were you were you watching while you were doing your research? So definitely a lot of Columbo. Uh-huh. Read about Columbo. Just deep dived into that show. That was the bread and butter Uh pretty much of our reference point for what we were taking from also a lot of agatha christie novels oh yeah yeah a lot of agatha christie novels ryan definitely made me a fan she structured a mystery like no other and i truly believe she's the blueprint for a lot of what's popular and a lot of what works particularly ryan's work if you look you can just see you know, strong influences of Agatha Christie, which I believe is very smart. Right. A lot of Alfred Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. We would watch Alfred Hitchcock movies and be encouraged to really dig into his work and how he approached story. Ryan was really big on us not only coming up with ways in storytelling that we could come at a 
a plot point sideways, mm. but unconventionally in a way that felt really fresh and exciting, not only for us as writers, but for the viewers to watch. So those were the main things that we were told to really go after and watch before the writer's room myself personally, mm-hmm. just because I knew that the show would have a 70s aesthetic. I also checked out uh, a little bit of, even though Magnum P.I. was more 80s and 70s, mm-hmm. I checked out Magnum P.I. I checked out uh, a lot of Charlie's Angels because oh, yeah. the main character's name was Charlie. And I thought, oh, cool, female detectives and a reluctant hero who's not a detective with a lie detector. I thought that was really interesting. I watched a lot of that. I watched a lot of, um, what else did I, oh, just to get the cadence of Natasha's voice correct, mm-hmm. I watched a lot of Russian Doll. Oh, nice. Just to really see what her voice was like and what the nuances of certain turns of phrases were. Yes. So yeah, I would say Columbo, Magnum P.I., Murder, She Wrote, Charlie's Angels, and rewatching the first season of Russian Doll like crazy. Okay, this is amazing. So, okay, so going back, you know, the show follows the crime first situation later set up. We know within the first 20 minutes who did the killing and why. And then the hook of the show comes in watching them attempt to cover up the crime, yet fall victim to some kind of like fatal flaw in their plan, which usually um, somewhere Charlie Kale picks up on and then she confronts them. And then something will happen at the end, whether they're arrested or, or they um, they do something maybe drastic. Um, so it's it's a... It follows that format, but then what is amazing is that there's so much play in within the structure. There's so many hilarious, like farcical moments. Uh, episode six, there was um, so many gems, like with um, the episode with Tim Meadows and Ellen Barkin was hilarious. Um, they were putting on a play called Ghosts of Pensacola, which just like the name is is. Uh, chef's kiss then there's uh they were both on a show called spooky and the cop like just hilarious just like so much farce there was a um jamila jamil had a company called she trade like just hilarious in your episode was amazing there was the monkey minority report and then there were just like a lot of riffs on like you know what if um there were monkeys instead of people um in minority report as a movie or like the pre monkey precogs like it was just also really funny i'm curious if like there were any like funny moments one-liners that you were happy to see that made it into any of the 10 episodes oh my god several several okay i would say that um from the episode that i myself and wyatt wrote yeah. episode five time of the monkey I loved Pervy Pete saying, you speak of electroplay. I think that that was really funny. Uh, I yes. really liked... So he was, he was one of the residents. He was one of the residents. Yeah. And he just... Um, that actor just hit it out of the park. That actor was great. Pretty much anything <laughs> Irene and Joy said, Irene correcting Charlie by saying 70s bitch <laughs> was pretty amazing. Uh... What else? Oh, in the Ghost of Pensacola episode, I love just the back and forth on stage. 
between you know Charlie jumping on stage trying to <laughs> that was not so to great nuts, uh, then kind of hobbling out and just that whole episode was so funny. Was that ad libbed at all? Later, do you know if that was ad libbed or I don't? Uh huh. I believe it was all scripted. I remember it from the script. Wow. Yeah, because she she um, gets on stage because she has to try to get the other actor to not eat the peanuts who has the allergy. Um, but then she just um, becomes pretends to be an actor like they're still in the scene. And and then she says that, like, she's the ghost of Pensacola. It's it's so funny. Yeah. Natasha was amazing. That whole episode was just pure gold. And Chris Downey, who wrote it, is just so not only just a great guy, but so incredible in the writer's room. Right, right. And then, uh, you know, not not to get too into it, but yeah, I think like Chris Downey has had like so many different careers. I think he was like a lawyer. I think he might have been he might have been a reporter, but like but just a, a amazing group of writers that they they assembled for this uh, for this show. Oh. Absolutely, absolutely. I went on a Chris with I went on a walk with Chris at one point, and he told me he's like, "Yeah, when I was writing for the Cosby Show, and oh, I God. stopped." I'm like, "Wait, when you were when you were writing for the Cosby Show? Wow! The fact the fact that he can just casually drop something like that in conversation, classic TV, uh, yeah, both, both tickles me and is something that I admire. Just what a career! Like I aspire to have a career that long." He's great. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. So you were talking about um, the shows that you watched um, to get ready for this show. Um, also, what I instantly like, um, just watching the show, the, the close-ups, the, the slickness of it, um, the pop culture references, I immediately got like Tarantino circa Kill, Kill Bill vibes. What were your initial meetings like with Natasha and Ryan? Oh, man. All right. So this is a fun story. It was actually five meetings wow. before I got hired. Uh, the last meeting was Natasha. Uh -huh. uh, the first meeting was with our wonderful showrunners, Lilla and Nora Zuckerman. Met with them. Then I believe I met with either T Street or MRC. And then I also met with... Uh, Those are the production another... studios? Yeah, the production production teams mm -hmm. and my fourth interview if I remember correctly was with Ryan Johnson and that's when I thought to myself okay if they're not gonna hire me this is really fucking cruel yeah <laughs> to, to put me through this many interviews and my fourth interviews with Ryan and then I'm meeting with Natasha it was it was really but that attention to detail and that level of care is reflected in the show mm -hmm. Because we put together a great show. So interviewed with all of them and the writer's room started up sometime in late September. And yeah, yeah, that's what the hiring process was like. That's incredible because I've gone through interview processes where I've um, like, I remember Huffington Post, I was up for like a, a pop culture editor position and I got a chance to talk to Ariana Huffington. This is back before she sold to AOL or, or maybe she had already mm. sold. I'm not sure. But I thought like, oh, I have this in the bag. Like, of course, like I'm going to talk to her and it's going to be super chill. She just wants to know that I'm cool and I'll get the job. Yeah. And I 
did not get the job. And I think that I was maybe too chill when I talked to her. So it's just like, it's like you never know. You still have to have your game face. You still have to be like super prepared. Um, and uh, and then, you know, see see where that takes you. So how did you stay level-headed throughout the whole process? Honestly, you just, you just got to be yourself. You just got to be yourself. And even if you're excited, you say it, it's like, oh my God, just there's a way to be in the moment and say, thank you for taking so much time to meet with me. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's the truth. That's how you're feeling. I don't, I don't think that being anything less than yourself in the moment is gonna serve you because they're there for you and I think that if you got so far in the process being yourself then it's only going to continue to serve you even if you don't get the thing because if you don't get the thing and if you're being yourself when you meet the people who you'd be spending time in the room with for months and months on end then it's almost a great thing that you don't get hired for that job because it would have just led to discomfort in you not being able to speak your truth, which if you can't speak your truth in a writer's room, you're disconnected from your greatest asset as an artist. So all of those things, I believe, are very interconnected, being able to be yourself, to be a nerd. And I'm very much a nerd. I, I... I have cool moments, but I don't know if I would self-identify as being altogether a cool person because that has the connotation of just not really being the full life and the full passion that I believe that I am. So I think that me being fully myself and in those moments are what, you know, kind of clinched it for me. Clinch, is that the right word? Yeah. You know, when you... Yeah, that's what, thank you, that's what clinched the deal for me, just me showing up and just going, oh my god, I'm so happy to be here, but also this is work, and these are my ideas, and this is what I thought of the script. So it's it's work, but you gotta have fun, you gotta be yourself. So going into those meetings with Natasha and Ryan, did you feel like, okay, I have to know all this pop culture stuff, I have to know about Columbo, I have to know all this, um, you know, kind of backstory or did you just come in prepared, like having read the the pilot, they read your pilot and really loved it, and you just um, showed them what, what you had to offer? Like what was, what else did you have to do in preparing? Uh, oh man, let me remember. Definitely my tactic for preparing for these meetings, because when you're a writer, there are a couple of different meetings that you go on. Mm -hmm. One is the general when you're just meeting with a director of development, a creative executive at a production company to see if you vibe and to see if there's anything you can work on together. The second kind of meeting is more of a bake-off where different people are up for a job and they have a concept of either something that they're adapting or something that they want to create from scratch and they'll show you a one sheet for it or they'll show you like a mini bible for it and they want you to come in and pitch what your take would be for a full season or a full series run based off of that content 
Mm-hmm. And lastly, there's the showrunner meeting. And the showrunner meeting is when you could potentially get staffed to be on TV show with the person who you're interviewing with running the room as, you know, pretty much the head of all the writers. So when I go to a showrunner meeting, I make it my business to, I read the script once, Mm -hmm. then I read the script again, and I take really, really detailed, thorough notes with a page number and what my thoughts are. And then I leave those notes alone. Mm-hmm. And before I go into the meeting with the showrunner, three hours before, I reread the script with my notes open next to me. And I go in again and I see when certain things were set up that paid off later on in the pilot. And then I do my predictions for what episode two or the rest of the season one would look like just to see if I would creatively sync up with the showrunner. Oh, wow. Then if the show... If the showrunner has a lot of clips of themselves online, I'll watch interviews with them just to see what their energy level is like, what their personality is like. I'll listen to podcasts they've been guest on, and I'll look for certain phrases that they've said several times uh-huh. so that I can kind of lock in to what their train of thought is and what their rhythm is. Then I take it a step further. If they have any films or any TV shows out, that have a audio commentary on them, I will not only watch the episode, but then I'll go back and I'll watch the episode with their audio commentary on it. Oh, that's really and smart. And I'll take notes on things that they said about their creative process and what they like to do in the writer's room or like in the director's chair just to see how we really, really sync up. And lastly, for fun, I'll just throw in a couple of references of what it reminded me of. But that's how I prepare for my showrunner meetings. Okay. All right. That's amazing. So Charlie Kale. Um, oh, and I, I, I do want to ask you like what you, you learned from working with Natasha and Ryan. But first, you know, I want to know um, about the character itself and then and dive into the episode that you wrote, which was episode five with uh, Judith Light and the incomparable S. Apatha Murkerson. Okay. So... Charlie Kale in Poker Face, she's this like regular person. She's a cocktail waitress. Um, she has the superhero strength of with like the insane bullshit detector. Um, then in your episode, she stumbles into work at a retirement home because she's on the run. So that that's basically her origin story is that she was um, there was a crime that happened in Las Vegas. She solved it. And so she's she was swept up in in uh, whatever happened in Las Vegas and then she ends up on the run. And that's what the show is, is that it's like um, it's her going to like these different cities. And so in um, episode five, she's somewhere in Georgia, like maybe outside of Atlanta. She's working at a retirement home. She befriends two rebellious ladies. What was it like writing the episode? So when you were talking about the um the showrunner meeting and kind of like 
um, giving your thoughts of like what this season could look like, did they already have this scenario in mind or was this something that, that was suggested in the writer's room as a group? Oh man, it, it very much is a group effort, but Ryan Johnson is the creative anchor mm-hmm. for the show. Mm-hmm. He had the aesthetic in mind, which again, because he's going to direct it, so he knows how not just how things are going to look, but how they're going to feel in the certain points we would want to hit in the storytelling of, you know, the week to week of Charlie Kale solving these crimes. Mm-hmm. I would say that he had bits of ideas that he wanted to see expanded upon, but the biggest thing that we would do in the first two weeks of the writer's room is that we would do something called blue skying. Okay. And blue skying is when you, as writers, the entire day is everybody pitching their most insane idea for episodes or villains or clues or mysteries. And those were some of the most fun days because, again, they're kind of like a bake-off. You have an idea, you pitch it to the group, the showrunners give you feedback on it, we kind of build on it. Ryan, if he's really feeling it, will just take down a lot of notes and really be engaged on just... uh riffing on what that would look like for the show and when you get all those brains in a room together you're really as a writer on a tv show you're paid for your brain and they always want your brain to be working and by just coming in with the product of really imaginative thinking that kernel of an idea could lead to an episode like for instance i know that an episode that I pitched, mm-hmm. we vibed on, but we were doing something a little too similar to that, or the villain didn't work out. But three things that I crafted from that episode, and I think it was one of Charlie's jobs that she would have while she's on the run, ended up in a script. Uh, because, uh-huh. you know, when you're in a writer's room, all the ideas are going on a board, they're going in the notes. So everything is in a heightened state of creative incubation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it it's always, always brainstorming. I hope that that answers your question. So kind but, of uh, like, I, I definitely yeah. am curious as to like what the job was that, and so was it, it didn't end up in your episode, but it ended up in another episode? It's coming up. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm so excited. Uh, I know that like episode nine is going to be sort of like a horror episode. Uh, But yeah, I'm just, I love everything. So she's had so many different jobs. She's worked at a barbecue. She worked at like a stock car racing uh, venue. Then um, in your episode, she's working in a retirement home. So what was it like writing the episode? I know that like you were brain, you're all brainstorming. It's a group effort. Um, This, this idea came along, but like, how did it end up becoming like your episode to write? And what was your way into that story? I believe that it became my episode to write. Everybody in the writer's room has their superpower. And Ryan and Lilla and Nora, they said that what my superpower is, is always bringing an emotional reality and truth to the stories that we're telling Mm -hmm. so that it's always grounded in, okay, why is this character doing that? What's the psychological reason for that? So that was always the approach or the angle that I would come at things from the writer's room. And because this was going to be such a 
relationship specific episode and it wasn't my idea mm-hmm. the episode it was something that as a group we pitched on yeah and my ears first perked up to the idea because originally it was going to be two men in a nursing home oh wow a retirement home sorry but as soon as it became two women my head went huh really female friendship say more yes because yes. again i grew up on <laughs> I grew up on Buffy, and I think that Ryan, knowing my sensibilities, kind of thought to himself, oh, okay, Charlie would really enjoy this. And he was correct, because my way into the story, how I made it my own, Mm -hmm. was really diving into that close, tight-knit bond between Joyce and Irene. That was my North Star when it came to the writing of this episode, and really... I feel very flattered. That's the biggest thing that people took away from the episode and why it's talked about the way that it is. And one of the reasons why people really enjoy that. And of course, I didn't write this in a vacuum. I didn't write it alone. It Mm -hmm. was with my wonderful co-writer, Wyatt Kane, that I wrote this with, who is so funny and so collaborative. And I couldn't have asked for a better person to just share this episode with but yeah it was a great process to just really get into that relationship and of course you work out the nuts and the bolts of what the clue is and the whole like why they're doing it and climbing up the trellis and the green dress yeah oh my god you know so it's a lot of moving pieces but that's why it's great to have a supportive writer's room like the one that we have where you can go back and get your questions answered yeah because it was like it was the perfect crime as as always um in in the episodes you know the crime crime first and then solution last um setup you know it was a perfect crime they were gonna off this um this character who's also in the home and uh it was all centered around they're all going to a zoo to watch this monkey who can tell time already hilarious and Mm -hmm. and, which is what you would find in like i i i like you know like a charlie's angels episode there would totally be like a monkey that could tell time uh like that it's just so wacky and fun so anyway they're they are um their alibi is that they were like in the bathroom or something like that and so uh judith like climbs the trellis to like then go um inject poison into the guy that they were killing but yeah so so it was like and then they were just going to get away with it so they fought until you know charlie figured it all out um but yeah it was this close relationship then um they let charlie into their into their bond kind of like where um they were they opened up to her they were sharing stories and throughout the episode i was thinking like charlie's not gonna charlie's not gonna she's gonna let them get away with it she knows that like what they were doing was probably righteous and it was it was the the best thing for them to do um, but then you find out um, that they their plans way back when was to do something where it would, would harm children and they mm-hmm. felt justified in what they wanted to do. But uh, Charlie was just like, you're going to kill UN babies it, 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 again, like sounds very dark, but it was super hilarious. Um, what was it like crafting the episode? So like you're 
you're coming up with these clues, you're coming up with, um, you know, uh, you know, different ways in which um, this perfect crime could happen and then how Charlie solves it. There's a really hilarious fight scene involving talc powder. Um, just just a really it, it's really it's that girl for me. Like this episode is my favorite. <laughs> but like were there a lot of changes from when you wrote the episode to finally seeing it on TV? Not really. I would say that about 90% of it is the same. And the changes that were made were for the better. Um, I think that it really moves. I, I think the directing, Lucky McGee directed this and hit the ball out of the park, the editing, the small touches. Uh, it's great. This is a, we made a fantastic episode of TV. When we were writing it, there were more flashbacks uh -huh. to the 70s more flashbacks you got to see uh joyce and irene's first real conversation where they bonded with each other on an emotional level for the first time you saw a bit more dialogue in the warehouse when they were all coming close together you see gabriel's speech when he's on the steps of a university and when he first catches irene's attention when she's a young person mm -hmm. but I think that cutting those things was very smart because if we would have kept them, it would have lost the momentum of the second act, which already our second act had to do so much work. We had to integrate Charlie into their circle. Right. We had to do flashbacks with Charlie realizing what happened. We had to see their conversation with Gabriel. We had to go to the zoo and see what happened from Charlie's perspective with these ladies. Then we had to see you know, Charlie realizing that Gabriel's the one who got killed, who she met in the, in the retirement home. So I would say that our act twos always have a lot of ambitious work mm -hmm. ahead of them. And usually if stuff has to go, the fat that gets trimmed is usually a lot of the stuff that we do in act two. We find a way to condense it mm -hmm. while, without losing its impact. And I think episode five did that tremendously well. As far as writing it, when you're writing with a scene partner, it's one, it's great to have somebody in that process with you because writing can be very lonely. And when you're on a show and it's your turn to write a script, being sent off to script, you don't have the camaraderie of the writer's room. You're pretty much by yourself for about a week and a half, like maybe sometimes over a week and a half, and you come back and your script gets notes and you do another pass, I believe. Mm -hmm. But uh, the way that we did the episode is that Wyatt wrote Acts 1 and 3, and I took over Acts 2 and 4. Oh, wow. Then we would, then we would flip them, and I would do a pass on Act 1 and Act 3, like a little changes I would make, and he would do the same for my acts, then we would combine them and smooth everything over so that the entire script flowed as w one cohesive unit. Yeah. Yeah, and then Nora and Lila get the script and before handing it to Ryan, they tweak a couple of things. It's handed off to Ryan. Ryan sees it. Mm -hmm. He does a couple of tweaks to it. Then we have our meeting with each other. It, it goes through a lot of hands, but the writer or in this case writers assigned to it 
do a lot of the initial framework for how it's going to look and feel. And were you meeting on Zoom? Were you meeting in person? Also, did you get a chance to be on set? Yes, yes. Yes to all of the above. Wow. We would, we had a bit of a hybrid room mm -hmm. and we would meet on Zoom if it were raining or if uh, somebody in the office got COVID mm -hmm. and we needed everybody to get tested. We would just do a Zoom day, break for lunch, come back to Zoom. But for the most part, I would say that 80% of the time we were in person. That's amazing, especially over the past few years. It's it's been um, it's been mostly Zoom for a lot of people, um, but in in a it, with a type of show like like this, it it helps to be. I would imagine that it helps to be like in person, where like you can get people's vibe, you can um, share jokes. It's a little easier, I guess, to like get your ideas across when you're in person. Oh. Without a doubt, so much easier to do it in person. So much easier. Um, okay, so superhero strength. So, like, you know, again, Charlie is the um, the human lie detector. For you, you um, as a writer, your strength is um, is is your uh, is, is finding the emotional, um, I guess, kernel in a, in a story. Like, what what would you say your superhero strength is? I would say finding the humanity in the characters that I write is definitely, I would say that it's a strength because it's been pointed out to me by people who hired me. Uh -huh. So I'm, I'm taking it, I'm running with it. Uh, whatever their opinion is of you, that, that's, uh, that's whatever. what you're going with. Yeah, whatever your opinion <laughs> is, you know, give me more checks. Yes. Yeah, uh -huh. I'll be anything you want I'll, me to be. <laughs> also... Me personally, if I had to look at my writing, I would say also just action. Uh -huh. Like um, I tend to write things that have a lot of action scenes in them and a lot of characters, mostly because I do a lot of sci-fi and a lot of horror, just characters behaving in surreal situations, whether it's a chase scene where a killer wants to get them or a fight scene where somebody has to you know, use martial arts or fisticuffs to take somebody down. Mm -hmm. I would say that's another strength. I would say, hmm, I would say thematic elements in the script is also a strength of mine. Really making things resonate on a symbolic level is something that I really enjoy. I would say that my sensibilities as a storyteller are very very Tarantino in some ways, and also very, and I know it makes sense because I was just on the show, but also very much like Ryan Johnson and how he comes at story from a unconventional sideways way. Oh, cool. So also you are into actual superheroes, like, you know, the fictional superheroes that we all know and love. So are you, are you like a DC person? Are you Marvel? Um, if you could reboot Ooh. any of those, uh, comic book heroes like who would it be and why that's such a hard question for me to answer i all right here's what i always say dc would not be dc without their three big characters uh -huh. batman superman wonder woman that is the holy trinity of dc comics and if you were to pull them out you would still have great comic, you would still have great characters in DC Comics, but it wouldn't be the same. I don't think that it would be, 
as hard-hitting a brand, especially without Batman. But if you were to take Spider-Man out of Marvel, Mm -hmm. Marvel would still be Marvel. Yeah. Because Marvel has the the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, Hulk, Captain America, Iron Man. I think that just because of the way that Steve... The way that Stan Lee wrote his characters, Mm -hmm. he was always writing these characters as people who were doing their best or struggling with some personal demon, particularly when it comes to Spider-Man and how Spider-Man was a metaphor for a boy becoming a man and learning about responsibility or X-Men being a metaphor for found family or to me, a metaphor for being queer or oh. Fantastic Four, uh-huh. that just being a nuclear family that had some nuclear shit happen to them that changed them on a molecular level, or Iron Man struggling with uh, alcoholism and literally being trapped inside of his suit and that being another addiction that he has. Right. So I think Marvel tends to go a bit more into the character psyches than DC does, in my opinion, but... When DC hits that out of the park, they hit it out of the park. So I would say Marvel for me. That's really interesting because, yeah, I mean, Iron Man, it, like as the recent, you know, thinking about like the recent uh, Avengers movie, he died. But yeah, the um, the the superheroes live on. We have so many. We have um, and and it keeps growing. Now we have like Kang the Conqueror. I don't know if he's uh, necessarily a, a good guy, but like there's so many characters, um, so many. And then they they have like, we know what their core wounds are. We know so much about mm-hmm. them. Ant-Man just came out um, where, uh, and that was like, it was kind of a wacky movie. I enjoyed it, but it was just like, it was kind of all over the place. But but still, <laughs> it's like, I, I know a lot about his backstory. I know his personality. I know what to expect. But yeah, for DC, it, it, it does follow like a very traditional formula. Um, I'm curious as to to what um, like James Gunn will 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 do with with DC as he's um, continues to work. Because I, I did like Peacemaker a lot. I don't know if you if you watch that. Um, but like what I watched. The- uh huh. Oh, no, no, no. I was just agreeing with you. I wrote, I watched the first couple episodes. It's great. Please go on. Yeah. But I want to know about more about your process. Like, are you a morning person? Do you listen to music while you write? Um, do you want to continue exploring par- projects about superheroes? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. When I, I'm a morning writer, and I believe Maya Angelou said this, her morning process for writing was that she would get up, drink her tea, and look over the pages of writing she did the day before. So for me, writing in the morning is a bit more like uh, editing or revising Mm -hmm. or combing through what worked or didn't work from the night before. So that's how I start my mornings most times, and I decide what sequence of scenes I'm going to be working on. So to make writing less daunting for me, I'll divide my writing schedule up by character Mm -hmm. so i do a an outline then i look at the outline and i decide which scenes are more focused on certain characters and i'll take all of those scenes and i'll put them in a checklist 
and say, right now I'm writing something with a character named Zayden, and he works alongside his sister, who for right now is called Arjana. Mm -hmm. Today is going to be an Arjana day, because I'm focusing on scenes with Arjana, and even if they're out of sequence, I'll just focus on, you know, what her big emotional moments are, what scenes are, where she doesn't get what she wants, scene where she's knocked down several pegs, scenes where she's winning... I'll write up some interesting dialogue for her in a separate notes app that I could cherry pick and put in certain scenes as I see fit. Uh, I have a lot of little tricks that help me just move forward and get shit done. That's great. And, oh, also in term, yeah, in terms of music, movie scores. Oh, I know another writer that does that. Is there is there one that's your favorite? The score for Get Out. Nice. I have to check that out. Mm -hmm. it's good it's spooky nice okay how do you celebrate a win oh my god i'll tell you once i learn how to celebrate them (laughs) (laughs) uh mm, you know (sighs) like what did you do when you got when it was like official you went through five interviews you you book poker face really amazing opportunity how did you what did you do that day that night did you like splurge on something like what did you do to celebrate honestly i'm gonna be so vulnerable i'm not the best at this i'm really working hard i'm not yeah it's hard it's it's really hard and i'll tell you i don't think that i celebrated being on the show until our premiere party wow (laughs) or actually no I don't think, yeah, it was last month. I had a moment where I was speaking to Rhea Perlman, who is going to be in our show. And I was speaking to her just like a colleague. And we were talking about the show and what we thought about it. And we weren't on set. So what there wasn't that air of, okay, she has to be in the shot. We have to do that. We were just out. We were all celebrating this big win for how great the pilot was. It looked amazing. We were happy to be there. People were dressed up. And after speaking to Ray Perlman, I choked up a little bit because one of my favorite movies of all time is Matilda. Yes. And one of my happiest memories from childhood. Uh Yeah. One of my happiest childhood memories is watching that movie with my older sister and just cracking up up yes Rhea Perlman and her character and to just be able to talk to her as a colleague at the premiere of a show that we both worked on was my moment of realizing wow I'm a fucking tv writer yes you are you're that girl (laughs) I'm that girl you know it (laughs) it was uh so I think it's still slowly sinking in but um yeah I'm getting better at it but I like that I was able to have that moment and for it to feel that special when it happened. Okay, okay, this is incredible. So I, before I let you go, can we just play a very quick, silly game? Absolutely, I love them. I love them so much. Okay. So 
in honor of Poker Face, uh, I want to do this BuzzFeed quiz with you. It has nothing to do with the show, but I feel like Charlie K would probably like take this quiz or um, or even like Natasha might even take this quiz. Um, it is, would you rather date or dump these characters made famous by Penn Badgley? And of course, like I love you, the show part two of you season four is coming back March 9th. So are you ready? Charlie, you know, me and my roommate. I, I, me and my roommate, we're watching it right now. We're watching the uh, new season. You know, so it's so funny that you bring this up. Also, we were both talking about how dreamy Penn, love Penn him. is as an actor. Yeah. I love him. Um, okay. Yeah. So first, would you rather date or dump Joe Goldberg from you? I would dump him, and here's why. Here's why. If we were to meet in real life and I saw that character just as he is, I would be like, oh, he's handsome. I would definitely be into his intellectual side. But personality-wise and just the vibe that he gives off, he's a bit of a snob. And yeah. he's a bit too old-fashioned for me. And kind of douchey. Kind of douchey and always thinks that he's right about everything and the way that he thinks about women is just so I really want this character to get killed off ah. I wish that there wasn't just a date and dump option but a kill option because I want him to just justice for Beck I'm still mad about Beck from the first season yeah oh that was so that was really fucked up yeah okay so next question yeah. how about Dan Humphrey from Gossip Girl would you date dump or like Mariah Carey? I don't, I don't know this girl. Like, I don't know this character. You know what? I would, I would, I'd give it a shot. I date him. I date him for a second. 36% agree. How do you feel about <laughs> Woodchuck Todd from easy a? Oh my God. I would marry him. Marry him. Very he sweet. Is, he was, very sweet, very the way that he is as a romantic and the way that he shows up is very much how I see myself just in terms of romance. So, yeah, I just that would be my ideal man right there. So 72 percent agree. Um, so thoughts on whether Pino is dateable from the birthday cake. I don't know that. I don't know I that don't character. Know I don't know that character. Yeah, me too. Um, 74% uh, agree with us. They don't know this character either. Um, would you go out with Owen Gregory from the Bedford Diaries? I also don't know this one. Uh, you're not alone. I also don't know her. Yeah. 69%. Nobody knows. Everyone just knows <laughs> Dan Humphreys. And Joe Goldberg. That's it. So this is a very interesting test, BuzzFeed, because no one knows these these movies. What what about oh going on God. a date with Michael Harding from The Stepfather? This looks like a thriller. He's holding a crowbar? Yes. And a In flashlight. A good flashlight. A flash yeah. You know what? Based on what I know about <laughs> him and you, I'm going to say dump because he looks like he's about to kill someone. He's going to kill his stepfather, probably. 
Oh, probably. So I, I I would dump him. Most person, most people don't know this character. Um, fifty nine percent. Because yeah. Um, let's let's go. I think I probably would dump him. But then again, I'd be like, can I borrow that flashlight? Because it it's a really good flashlight. He was holding in that picture. Um, and okay. So how about Sigurd Rosdale from the paper store? Oh my god! All right, Buzzfeed is picking very particular and listeners definitely look this quiz up so that you can just know what i'm talking about visually he looks super cute in this photo so date yes let's see uh, uh yeah 83 percent don't know this character um but yeah 10 percent said they would totally date him nice i think so too i think he was very mm-hmm. cute i think he looks cute here um so what do you think about seth bregman from margin call and he's standing next to um an actor that I know. Tyler from Heroes. Yes. So would you date <laughs> Dump or I don't know this character. I don't know this character, but I would date him. He seems, but he kind of seems like a finance douchebag, but um, I don't know. Maybe have. He seems like a, uh, I don't know if I would. He, he That's like, that's not my type. Uh, so I would Dump. Yeah. 7% would Dump. And of course, seventy five percent don't know this character, just like me, because all we all we know <laughs> is Joe and Dan. Anyway, okay. So, how would you respond if Jeff Buckley from Greetings from Tim Buckley serenaded you? So, I guess he was in a movie about the singer Jeff Buckley, the the nineties singer that died. Um, would you? And and he seemed like a very nice man. Um, so I don't know. I don't think that he's a serial killer in this movie. Um, would you date Dump or I don't know this character? I would date. I would date because I would want to get to know this character. You're going to serenade me. You get a date. Yeah. You get a date. Yeah, exactly. Let's get to know each exactly. other. Exactly. Of course, 71% don't know this character because we all know just <laughs> you and Gossip Girl. But uh, 22%, 22% said that they would date. And I, I think so, too. Okay, I know I love this movie. Um, finally, would you date or dump Scott, aka the other Tucker from John Tucker Must Die? Okay, I went to see this in the movies when I was in high school. Yeah. I don't Classic. remember if he was a douchebag in this movie or not. Was he like was he like the other romantic option that could have worked out but ultimately didn't or was he like a mean dude? I think I think that I want to say that he was the other romantic option and he probably turned out to be an ass. Oh, dump. Yeah. Especially with like his kind of Jesus hair, like he looks sort of like he he's probably an asshole 17 percent would dump 53 percent would date so maybe he was a nice guy after all i don't know but uh that's definitely I, I need to revisit that movie it's been a long time but mm. yeah so i mean most people agree with us i think we have good taste um and i think most people just know the show you and gossip girl that's also what i i've learned from from this quiz and I've learned a lot from from talking to you. I've learned so much about writing. I've learned um, so much about just like because um, I I too it's hard for me to like celebrate a win to um, to believe that like these good things are happening. I just kind of go with the moment. Um, but it was really amazing that you had that moment talking to Rio Perlman 
and and the realization that like okay i'm here i've arrived like that that's so cool Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a very beautiful feeling. And thank you for having me. It was great to talk about this. Can I ask you one final question? What's making you happy these days? Oh my God, what's making me happy? I would say my dog, Oh, my dog Mila is making me happy. Mila, like Mila Jehovah, or like Mila Kunis? Oh, like Milo with an O, Milo. Oh, Milo, that's so sweet. Yeah, Milo, part Chihuahua, part Jack Terrier. Oh. She's such a little doll that's making me happy. Uh, my friendships are making me happy. And also, I'm going to San Francisco tomorrow to be with one of my best friends for a couple of days. So, yeah, those are the things that are making me happy. Okay, sweet. How can people find you? Do you want people to find you? Absolutely. People can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at charliepeppers3, the number three. Okay. So yeah, you can find me there. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Red Hot Charlie Peppers. <laughs> I had to say it. I love, I love uh, yeah. talking to you. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. And thank you listeners for listening. Yes. So we'll see you next week. I'm Yummy Coco. Keep your lamplight trimmed and burning. Bye.